Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Photography. I'm Lorena Turner, the host. I'm a lecturer in the communication department at the California State Polytechnic University, and I'm a photographer too. One thing that I really enjoy about doing this podcast is the opportunity to talk with photographers who come to their work from very different ways and for a range of objectives. And no matter what the inspiration for their work, the form of the book is what unites them. In photography, a book is not just an end game for years of study or a body of work, nor is it specifically a way just to find an audience for a group of images, but it can provide an opportunity for the photographer to create and construct a narrative out of seemingly disparate and disconnected set of images while learning more about their own process. In Amani Willett's book, Disquiet, which was published by Diamani Factory in 2013, he uses the book form as a way to create a parallel between his family life and the cultural atmosphere in which it exists. In our conversation, we talk at length about his book and his process, but also about his personal history and how that's contributed to his work as a photographer. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Photography. I'm Lorena Turner. Today, I'm talking with Amani Willett. Welcome to the podcast, Amani. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We were talking about your book. We're going to talk about your book, Disquiet, today. Um, and I was hoping you could start by giving an introduction to the book. Sure. Um, this Quiet is really a family project. Um, it is a book that's a meditation on starting a family in a time of social unrest and uncertainty in America. The images were shot between 2010 and 2012 when we were undergoing severe economic troubles in our country. And that was the starting point. And it weaves images of uh, my life with what was happening happening in the country politically and socially at the time. We're going to talk about your book at length in just a few minutes, but you're someone who's new to me. We just made our acquaintance just recently. Um, and I was hoping you could talk next about yourself, like your, a little bit about your education, how you came into photography. When did you fall in love with photography? You know, it was... I guess at the end of college, I was a senior, and this was back in the 90s, 1997. I was at Wesleyan University, and I think this, uh, the spring semester was almost over. I was at the school bookstore, and I came across a book by Eli Reed, who was a magnum photographer, and it was a book called Black in America. And I was just floored when I saw it. I, I actually sat down on the floor and I read and I guess looked through the images one by one. Um, and I found the book so powerful because I was actually an African-American studies uh, major and an American studies major. Um, and I had always written about issues that I was concerned about and interested in talking about. And this book really addressed all those same kinds of things, but through photography and it really um, was a sort of a, a breath of fresh air for me. And I knew that I wanted to try to 
um, use the visual language of photography and see how I could express myself and talk about issues that were important to me. Um, so after college, I actually moved to New York and got an internship at Magnum Photos. And um, after about six months, started working there full time. And I worked there for about four years. And that was really my first education into photography. I had no real formal training before that. So I would spend um, evenings in the stacks looking at all the amazing contact sheets they had there from all the photographers. It was really quite incredible. You could look at every single contact sheet ever shot. Um, and it was really such a great way to learn about how photographers were seeing, how they approached the subject, how they you know, would shoot to arrive at the images that were the important ones. Um, and so that really was what colored and shaped my vision of my, my vision of photography at the beginning. Um, after leaving Magnum, I started shooting editorial and commercially for myself and also doing a lot of street photography. I was a part of a street photography collective for about 10 years. And there came a point though, where I was getting bored with photography I wasn't sure what I wanted out of it anymore. I was you know, shooting editorial and commercially, and that wasn't incredibly fulfilling for me. And I was getting kind of bored of, you know, roaming the streets sort of aimlessly making, you know, visually sort of interesting images, but wasn't really adding up to too much for me. So I decided to challenge myself and go back to school and get an MFA. Um, uh, I think MFAs are sort of a mixed bag. You know, I don't think everyone is uh, is in need of an MFA. For me, it felt like the right thing to do at that time. And mm -hmm. I'm really glad that I did it. It put me in an environment where a lot of the students were coming in with a, a background in art and it's, which was completely separate from, you know, different from me. I had experience shooting. I had experience in the photography field, but I didn't have an art background. Um, and so it was a real jolt at first and it really challenged me to uh, try and figure out where I wanted to take my work. Um, and yeah, so I, that, I did that and then started working on book projects and sort of figured out through that process that books were what I wanted to work on. Um, and so since school, I've been working on my own independent projects and doing shows and doing some teaching. So I, I have a couple of questions about your experiences. Um, sure. Before we talk about your book, um, just because they they piqued my interest. So, why were you an African American studies major? Oh, so I am half black, half white. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, African American culture has always been a particular interest to me. Um, my parents were actually both Quakers as well. Um, so there is a real sort of spirit of being politically active in my family and in my family's history. Uh, so it was sort of a natural fit. And did your, did your family, when you were growing up, was, um, was your African-American identity, was that something that was um, in your household? Um, how do I say this kind of like shown to you or like um, brought to you and said like, look, this is a distinct history. That's um, something that you need to kind of attach yourself to. Uh, that's a good question. So uh, my mom, my mom is my mom is black, and 
when I was young, maybe three or four, she was looking for books to read to me and couldn't find many. So she um, did a lot of research and was really uh, quite disappointed at what she found and actually ended up opening a bookstore for books for uh, children of color and people of color. And I grew up in Cambridge, Mass. So it was her, and her bookstore was really like a became a place for people to 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 congregate in Cambridge and you know talk about issues of race and um, identity. So yeah, it was instilled in me at a very early age. And actually, it's funny I never made the connection, but that might be one of the reasons I'm interested in the book form now. Is you know I was mm. always surrounded by books and always you know in my mom's store looking at books growing up. And, uh, you know, hearing all these amazing stories that were happening in books, um, you know, she had a good run. And then, you know, uh, Barnes and Noble, <laughs> uh, she you know, had to throw in the towel at, at some point. But um, that experience definitely has stayed with me forever. And you know, actually, one of the other long term projects I'm working on is images of the history of the Underground Railroad. So, um, again, because of my background being black and white and my parents being Quaker, those, that history, uh, that, that part of American history is of great interest to me as well. Are you doing, is that a project where you're doing, uh, you're doing historical research to find images? Uh, No, that's an image. That's a project where I'm actually doing a lot of research to find undocumented underground railroad sites and Mm. driving around the country to photograph them. That's fantastic. I bet that's quite a quite an adventure for you. It is. It is. And I, you know, I, I don't get to get out and shoot as much as I would like at this point, but I am always researching and I have this really elaborate Google map with all um, the sites that I would like to explore. Um, so and I have a certain criteria with how I pick what I want to shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, I really, like I said, don't want it to be marked, but the sites have to be interesting to me in some other way, either, you know, the story of what happened there um, or the way um, the past has been erased from those sites. You know, maybe it's a shopping mall now or what, what have you. And then we were, you talked about a little bit about your time at Magnum, mm-hmm. which is, is fascinating and what a, what a rarefied experience. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and looking at people's contact sheets. And I'm, I'm wondering that what strikes me about that is I, 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 I teach photography and, you know, I understand the value of the contact sheet. Like there's, there's so much that you can learn and understand about someone's thought process by looking at images in that form in that kind of linear, linear way. What, 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 what's done when, when we're shooting digitally, when we're primarily, you know, photographers are primarily shooting digitally now are, and in Magnum, are they taking those images and, creating some type of like a, I don't know, um, a, a virtual contact sheet that you can easily access or is that problem not been kind of addressed yet? Yeah, that's a great question. And as I was um, talking, I was actually thinking about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually haven't been there since 2001. Oh, so, so that's a maybe I'm a I'm not question. sure. We, you know, it was very exciting. We were just starting to scan things and print things digitally right. at that point. Um, so I'm not sure how they've done the archival process. Um, I'm not sure if the agency has all of the images or just the selects that the photographers now want to submit. You know, 
It, that is, that's a great question. And it, you're right. It does sort of put a hole in the psychology of looking at how um, photographers are going through the process of making their images. Well, I'll maybe. Have to find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You'll, and then you'll have to let me know. What do you, what did you learn? Interesting that you you talked about your M, the the MFA as being a mixed bag, and I think a mixed bag experience, and I think I think that's a common a common thought that people have as as a part of that experience. You know, you go in with thinking that it's going to be one thing, and you're going to get all these questions answered, and it's going to solidify your identity and your trajectory. You know, and then it 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 um, isn't exactly that, or it can it can alter you know, some, your expectations for yourself in some ways. I don't know if that was your experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I had had a lot of time between undergrad and grad school, Mm -hmm. so I felt pretty certain that it was the right time for me. I kind of had a, you know, I had a good idea of what I wanted to get out of it. So I would say it was on the whole, on the whole, pretty positive, you know, even with the questions that it brings up. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. sure sort of tears you apart makes you question everything and they try to put you back together. Um, I guess my, my, more of my reservations come around the idea of like this culture of MFAs in photography or in art and them sort of being this necessary part of the process now, which I'm not convinced is true. And I think there's a lot of uh, negatives that can come out of that. Um, I think a lot of people go to school before they're ready for it. I think, a lot of people who go to school may not necessarily need to be there or they don't know what they want to be working on. And then, you know, it sort of also creates this culture where all the people are learning the same things and having being indoctrinated with similar tastes mm-hmm. and um, ideas of what's valuable. And I, I don't think that's necessarily a very good thing. Those are, those are my hesitations. I understand. For example, you know, if you go in and you're a photojournalist, you know, people aren't going to have much interest in uh, looking at work that is straight photojournalism, for example. You know, so um, I think there's a lot of prejudices in terms of what is valued. Well, that is a good segue into your book because of your book, Disquiet, which came out mm-hmm. in 2013, but it's such a wonderful book. And, and as you kind of mentioned in our early discussion through email that, that you've been thinking about it a lot recently um, because what, of what's going on in our country. Um, and you feel like it's a good time to revisit it. So, so we happen to encounter each other at, at this moment, which, so we can talk about it. Um, but your book kind of merges together some, uh, some photojournalism and then some more um, like they're, they're, they're documentary, but they could be more narrative as well. Maybe, uh, so, so we're going to talk about that now. Tell me a little bit about how this project of Disquiet got started. Sure. Um, so back in 2010, our country was going through. So back in 2010, my son Satchel was born and the, basically the world that he was born into was one that I found sort of disturbing and challenging. You know, it was a very depressed economy. You know, people were really talking more about climate change and, you know, wars and political dysfunction. And it really just started making me think more about those issues and how they related to 
the world I was bringing my kid into and the world that he was going to inherit um, and how sort of external forces really seep into family life and how everything is sort of uh, distinct but fluid at the same time. Um, but when I started the project, uh, it, it was a very organic process. I didn't realize that I was actually working on a project, right? I was um, spending a lot of time with my family and making a lot of images of um, my wife and my son in, those, in that first year. It's such an intense year where it's so exciting and powerful, but it's also um, it can be also isolating because you're spending a lot of time you know, with lack of sleep and um, just spending a lot of time with those uh, with your new kid and your significant other. Um, and in, in 2000, uh, wait, I'm trying to think now when Occupy Wall Street started, it was 2011, the, uh, the fall of 2011. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So so after I was making these images of my family and I also started getting interested in the Occupy Wall Street movement and when it was had, they were having rallies down in Zuccotti Park and I started going down there just out of curiosity to listen and check things out, not even really going down there to be a photographer. I was just more curious and interested in this social movement. Um, but after spending time there, I started bringing my camera down and taking some pictures and one day something really clicked and I decided that I wanted to work on a project where I was talking about my family life, but also issues of what was happening in our country at the time, socially and politically. So I started making some images down in the Zuccotti Park and, um, and then started playing around with how to have these different sorts of images be in dialogue with one another. And I started, you know, by making small prints and putting them on the wall and trying to figure out how it's going to show them as a show or, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about books at that moment. I was thinking more just with a, you know, in the traditional thinking more about the traditional photographic print and just through a process of trial and error, one day just started playing with looking at these images in a book format and then, when I did that, it seemed very obvious to me that that's how I needed to to look and think about this work. So I started playing around with um, different kinds of layouts and ways that the images would be sequenced and speaking to each other. So was that a pivotal moment in your work as far as yeah, like earlier today we talked about, I mean, you mentioned to me the book form as being something that is an, a, an important aspect of your work now, whether it's something that you're kind of always thinking of your images to go into or to be in that kind of that, that form, I'm not sure. But um, was, was this kind of a transitional time where you hadn't really thought about a book before and what a book can be and how it can tell a story um, into you were moving away from that and then thinking more about, oh, yes, this is a kind of a good format for me. Yeah, definitely. It was one of those aha moments where I, I felt really, really excited and motivated to explore mm -hmm. the book form um, and think about using my images in a narrative form. I think, you know, as I mentioned before, I spent a lot of I spent a lot of time photographing on the street and I've always shot very intuitively, um, you know, 
taking images of things that just piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden having this book form was a really exciting way to sort of take that next step in, in exerting control over the process, you know, so taking all these different kinds of images I had and working, whittling them down and working with how to, uh, you know, sequence them, pair them in ways that gave them, I, I felt a lot more meaning. And so that was truly, truly exciting for me. That's very interesting. And did that this framework of I, I call it a framework sometimes when when you have a set of images and you're I'm kind of expressing some of my own internal struggles that I'm having at the moment. So so the the a framework being like you have a set of images that were you didn't necessarily think that they were connected. They were you know yes they're coming from you at a particular point in time from the same brain you know but then right. you you kind of look at them and say, okay, they're going to, you know, this is, this is how I'm going to, um, I, you know, put them together and create meaning out of that. So that's the framework that I'm talking about. Do you think mm-hmm. that that happened uh, in the process of shooting the images for this book? Do you think that that happened after you had the majority of the work done or did you kind of reach a point say midway through and you said, Oh, this is, this is what I think I'm doing. Right. No, that's a great question. And let me see if I can answer it in a satisfactory way. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I, so I was shooting, like I was shooting images of my family. I had all these images that I had shot over a year or so or more. And then I started adding these more political images and images that um, were from the outside world, outside of my family. And then once I had that sort of aha moment, I started thinking about how to put them together. And so I, I, I played around with those images for, maybe a month or two and started really formulating an idea of what I wanted this project to be. And at that point I was able to go out and to continue to shoot Mm. in a more directed and purposeful way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But still trying to be still trying to honor the way I I typically shoot. You know what I mean? I didn't all of a sudden Mm -hmm. want to have images that felt different from my normal way of, of photographing. So I had loose themes in my head and ideas that I wanted to make sure I would captured that I could then bring into the book form. But the, the really exciting thing about, you know, a book is like, you know, you, you put one image next to another and all of a sudden you have a dialogue, right. And people are then forced to to try to reconcile why these images are together. Your, Your mind wants to create these narratives and, you know, I think one thing that's really interesting is, the, you know, often when you actually have images that don't seem so similar, it really is a space that can activate the brain and create these, you know, really imaginative narratives um, because it's not so completely spelled out. You know what I mean? So that was also a balance I was really working with. I wanted to have this book, you know, to be working in this book form and be working on these images and have them be cohesive in a way but not so literally, you know, you know, point A to point B to point C to point D where there wasn't room for viewers to actively engage and question and form their own and have their own experiences with the work. Well, it's a beautiful book from what I, I'm looking at a PDF version of it. And from what I can tell <laughs> as a PDF version, it's really, really quite stunning. I mean, you have, 
some, some black and white images, you have color images and they, both of those have very different qualities. And, you know, as you, as you describe, you're placing them next to each other, not necessarily on the same page, but just, no, right. just yeah, just next to each other within the same context. And it really, it really does create quite, quite an incredible and interesting and unique and compelling feeling um, to, to look at them in this way. Yeah. Um, and you know, when you have lots of different kinds of images, you have to start thinking about, well, how do I treat these images? You know, do I treat the ones that are similar all in the same way? You know what I mean? So for mm-hmm. example, all the black and white images in the, in the book are full bleed images, full spread, you know, d- double page spreads, full bleed. Um, and so there is some order and consistency in the way that that's done. They also sort of operate as uh, breaks in between other things that are happening. And I was thinking actually somewhat about cinema. You know, in cinema, we're very used to seeing scenes cut from one thing to another, from one place to another, and they could be totally unrelated, right? But I feel like in photography, we don't usually see that. We usually see sequences of, of images that stay with it, you know, especially in a photo series, right? Like a, mm-hmm. a 20 image series, you're seeing images that relate very specifically to one another. But I was thinking, well, no, it doesn't have to be that way. We can sort of use the ideas of cinema and cut from, you know, being here inside to being somewhere completely different. And uh, I like that, that flow. That's very interesting that you say that. And I, and I had, that never had occurred to me, um, because some, and, and I'm sure, you know, that that's probably any, I, you have obviously this, your project's a unique project, but ideas themselves, you know, emerge across many people, you know, simul- can emerge across many people simultaneously. So what, what I was, what sometimes when I look at books or projects that have kind of images that are seemingly disconnected, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I worry about, because sometimes I'll take those images and say like, you know, parallel them to my own work. And I'll think, is this coming across as like a portfolio of images, you know, taken mm-hmm. at a particular time? What's the, how, how am I, how is this person and how, you know, therefore, how do I like step away from that and, and um, really kind of look at them and create this connection? And I think you, you've just described something that's pretty, pretty unusual, you know, a pretty unusual way of looking at it, at least to me, you know, again, other mm-hmm. people may have, may have had, may have had that idea or come, you know, use that as a, as a way to work. It's really, it, that's really lovely. That's really lovely. Are you shooting with film and digital or just because the black and white images are very grainy, as you said. Um, and they have, I mean, there's a tech because there are so many of them are shot in when it's dark and there's low limited light you know, the, the texture is really emphasized the texture of the, of the file. I, I mean, I don't know if it's a file or if it's a print, I'm not sure the origination. Those are actually heavily manipulated. Um, oh. where I've photographed, re-photographed, printed out on newsprints, scanned and re-photographed and like to, to get this sort of degeneration to the images and consistency throughout them. Um, I'm trying to think if, you know, the film versus digital, there are some images that were shot on film, but I would say probably 75% of the images are, were captured digitally. And how does using printing out a newsprint, how does that change the quality of the image? What was, what was it that you were looking for in that? 
I would, I, you know, it was more of a, it was more of a, a, a gut feeling, uh, you know, oh. it was just a, a process, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that I was playing with, but I, I wanted, because they were sort of news images, I wanted to give them that, that sort of grainy old, uh, look. Mm-hmm. And that was just the process that I used that worked. And, be, and, and because they did have different feelings, you know, they were in different settings and different mm-hmm. amounts of light and all that. I wanted to find a process that would really bring them together in, in a unifying way. Mm-hmm. So that's, that was the, the object objective there. But yeah, I mean, really with this project, it was, you know, obviously a lot of time shooting, but the real, real, real heavy lifting was in the sequencing just really thinking about that flow and thinking about, you know, when you're, you were just talking about, you know, how do you make a body of work that doesn't just feel like a portfolio portfolio of images, right. Mm-hmm. And to create these connections. So it's, you know, thinking about gesture and okay. So in this one picture, there's a hand and in this other picture, there's a hand in another place. And even though they're disparate, you know, the images are very different. There's that connection or looking, you know, I really love the idea of, that photography itself is a language like the physical properties of photography. So, you know, light color composition and how can you create similarities between images that seem very different, but you can do that between using a very similar color palette or composition or these other things. So I was really also thinking quite a lot about that as I was, as I was making the sequence in the book. I, I, I mean, this is such a, this is a, an obvious connection, but I, but I really like, again, something I haven't seen, um, but on the one page, and I think on the PDF, the, the page numbers are probably not accurate to the actual pages, um, but my description, I think, will be clear enough so someone can find it. Um, there's a picture of an older person whose hand is resting on top of a sheet in a blanket, um, and that's on yes. the right page of the right side of, um, you know, an, an open, open face spread. Um, and then on the next page, if you flip it over on the left side is a large picture of like a new baby's foot and two feet, but one is more in focus and then the other. And that's, that's a really, and you have a different color palette. The light is different, um, but they're both kind of muted and the light's coming from this, a similar direction. So there's a nice right. connection that's made there. That's really a really nice. It's really nice. Thank you. Yeah, that was my actually my grandmother who passed away right before my son was born. So you know, in the project, thinking a lot about these life cycles as well. Right. So tell me a little bit about this picture, just because it's a striking image, and in some ways it looks it looks there's something unreal about it. It's it's not far from the two images I just talked about in the book, and it's someone's leg that has sutures down the front of it? Yeah, that was my mom um, who had a total knee replacement. And, you know, it's sort of, you know, for me it was, it was uh, you know, also referencing just the way thinking about our, our, our country and where we were and sort of being held together <laughs> and with this rift down the middle. Um, and that was actually a really powerful time. I, my, just a little backstory. My mother's mother actually died during knee surgery. And then my mom needed the same procedure. Um, so it was like a really anxiety uh, producing event for her to go through the same process, but turned out all right. 
Wow. Yeah, that would be very stressful, I'm sure, for her and for you, too. Exactly. Members of your family, yeah. So the title, where does the title Disquiet come from? Yeah, where does that title come from? Mm-hmm. Um, sort of, I was trying to think of the right, you know, the, the, the book is sort of subtle um, in a lot of ways, right? It's not, it's, it's sort of quiet, at least. Um, and so I like that idea of quiet and the disquiet and this sort of like subtle dis-ease or unease with what, with what was happening in um, the country and how it was seeping into my life and creating a sense of disquiet. So I liked how that the, it, 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 the word mirrors how I was feeling, but I also like how it's a sense of quietness as well. In the at the end of the book, after after one looks at all the really wonderful images and um, kind of has their own experience, there's some text that's mm-hmm. written by. I'm trying to to get to it. As it's Marvin Heiferman, right? Thank you, Marvin Heiferman, and he his his writing is really compelling. I mean, it really it it, it shows a, a real depth of understanding of of your images and a really insightful read on them. And I was, I was, I read this. He starts with a quote from Joan Didion's novel, play it as it lays. And I, and I love this because it kind of, you know, when I was reading this before we were, we were talking, I I separated, I highlighted that quote and I said, I'm going to ask about this. Um, So I would love to know, I'm going to read it for you. And then I'd love to know how, what you thought when you first read it. Um, So it says, there was a time when I played and replayed these scenes and others like them, composed them as if for the camera, trying to find some sort of order, a pattern. What did you think when you first read that in his writing? Well, so I think one of the, I I, I also, I I agree the essay, Marvin's a terrific human being. He's an amazing, critic and curator of photography. So you should look for some of his other books. He's written a lot about the, the ways we use photography in society. Um, but in this particular inter- in, instance, um, he was someone who I had been showing this work to from its infancy. So he would, he had seen the whole process, the whole project. Um, and I think it really just sort of mirrors the the, the process of how the work was created. Um, I think that's what that that's the way I've always read what he's written, you know, of photographing, um, you know, looking at the images, putting them in different places, making more images, and just keep going with that process. That's that's how I sort of thought of that work that quote as being the um, so basically being the process of making the work. Mm-hmm. It was, it's really quite, quite suiting. It's quite the perfect quote to start, to start his, um, his writing about your images on. Um, what are you working on now? Uh, so right now I'm actually finishing up a project that is about a hermit who lived in the New Hampshire woods in the 1800s. Um, my dad actually bought the land that the hermit lived on. You know, he didn't actually, he didn't realize he was buying this land, but in the late seventies, he bought a parcel of land in New Hampshire and built a cabin on it. Um, and we've been going there my whole life. And 
in around 2010, 2012, I started looking into um, the history of who owned the land. We are on a lake called Hermit Lake, and it's off a road called Hermit Woods Road. So I uh, looked into the life of this hermit and discovered there is actually this, there was this man who left his town of about 50 to 100 people and needed to go off and live in the woods. And so I've uh, been working with a historical society up there and piecing together his life. Um, this guy, Joseph Plummer, who is a local legend, and I'm really interested in the way that his life has continued to be mythologized. Mm-hmm. And I think because there's so little information concrete information about who he was and what his history is. Um, it just really fuels that mythology. And so I'm trying to create, I've created a, a, a new project that is, uh, I have a book dummy for now, which um, sort of tries to be true to that idea that it, it gives you bits and pieces of information to help create this portrait of this man who we don't really know. Um, and actually through the process, what I've also come to realize is that, I, I feel like my dad is turning into this hermit. Mm. Um, he spends more and more time up there on that land. It's where he'd rather be more than anywhere else in the world. And he just feels very at peace uh, up there in in the woods. And so I've been using him as a stand-in for some of the images. And um, it's been a really, actually a really fun project to work on. Um, so that's that's being finished up now. And then I have another a few other projects that I'm getting under the works, um, which have are sort of an extension of my underground railroad images that are, are more about race relations in our country. They, well, they both sound really fascinating and I'm, I'm very excited to, to, uh, to see your book about the hermit. That sounds like a, a really a poetic take on something that sounds like you will have a poetic take on something that, you know, really can, one can learn a lot from looking at someone's life from, you know, through history that way. That may not have made the most sense in my, the way no, I no, expected I, no, that, I, but. No, I yeah. think that's exactly right. Yeah, no, it's looking at, I actually worked with the historical society and so we have some of his actual belongings um, and I was able to track, you know, his, his actual grave site. It took me about a year to find it. Um and yeah, so it's playing with these ideas of fact and fiction and, um, you know, how to, uh, creating this story. Uh, and I th- it looks like hopefully it should be published in the fall of 2017. So we're, I'm working on that. Great. <laughs> great. To, yeah. When you were telling me about your uh, relationship to photography, when you entered into your MFA program, you know, you've said that you were before that you said, you know, chronologically in your life, you said before you went into the MFA program that you were a little kind of disillusioned with it. And, um, I'm wondering how would you describe your relationship to photography now? Uh, well, I I feel reinvigorated, you know, really Mm -hmm. for me, I think every artist needs to find the form that they feel really suited to. And, you know, I feel very lucky and fortunate that I found the book form. And at least for now, that's really giving me a lot of energy and drive to to keep working on these stories that I find so fascinating. And I feel like I have, you know, already an idea of the, the outlet that I want them to be in. So in some ways, my the way I, you know, subsequently started the way I've subsequently 
made images is a little different because I have more of a concrete idea of a framework for how I want to approach these stories. So, um, you know, I still shoot intuitively for a lot of the images, but I also am constructing things more. Um, but yeah, it's really been for me, uh, just, a, you know, the, some, the years after grad school have been really productive and wonderful for me because I feel like I do have a newfound focus and drive for continuing to explore um, the way the visual language works and how to communicate ideas visually. Wow, fantastic. So our, my last question for you is, uh, where can someone find Disquiet to, for, to purchase it? Um, so... I think my publisher is out of them. Uh, there's a few left at Amazon, and if you can't find them there, you can get them. I have a few signed copies on my website as well at amaniwillett.com. That's A-M-A-N-I-W-I-L-L-E-T-T.com. Okay, great. So so uh, I'll have a link to both of those um, that accompany this. The some of the places where, where um, the podcast can be accessed. So. So if you're listening to it, it's, it should be available. If it's, if it's not, if there aren't links connected to where you're hearing this podcast from, if you go to newbooksnetwork.com and look for new books and photography, you'll find that the links there. Um, thank you so much for talking with me. It was really fantastic to, uh, to learn about your book and about your projects and about um, how you see photography. Thank you so much for having me. This was a real pleasure. It's a wonderful conversation and um it's a wonderful experience to get to know you and the way you think about images better as well. <laughs>